have your Bibles and your outlines with me, I want us to turn our attention to God's Word as we are in week two of a series entitled, You've Got Questions, He's Got Answers. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the question of why does God allow suffering? These are questions that you have asked, a number of you have asked, and we're going to God's Word to see what His Word has to say. And, and by way of reminder of the ground rules for this series, it's, it's first this, that when there's a question that we're going to tackle together, we will first and foremost go to God's Word, and if God's Word gives a specific response to that, then that will be our authority. We will look for the specific response God's Word gives, and that's what we will share. If we take a question and we don't see that there's a specific response in God's Word, then we will look for principles that apply to that. And if we don't see something specific in God's Word and we don't appear to see that there appears to be a principle that applies, then and only then would we share an opinion to be contemplated at that point. But it's, it's God's Word that can give us some hope and direction. The question that we are looking at today, there's two questions dealing with life and death. And the first question that you have asked that I want us to look at is, is this. What does the Bible say about the beginning of human life? When does human life begin? Now, a number of you asked this question in one way or another. You phrased it a little bit different, but as I compiled them together, this was one of the higher number of questions that you asked. Now, I want you to catch that even if this wasn't a question that you asked today, there are people in our family asking this question. There are people in our world who ask this question, and God's Word is anything but silent on this question. It speaks very, very clearly about the sanctity of human life, and especially the pre-born life in the womb. The first thing I want us to catch from God's Word is this, that God is the author of life. If we don't get this part right, everything else is skewed, and, and it affects everything else, not only in this discussion, but in all other areas of life. God is the author of life. Isaiah 44, verse 24, says this. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. God is the author of all life. One of my favorite questions to ask with friends like you is, is who is Jesus? If we don't understand who Jesus is, everything else is, is messed up in life. And one of my brothers this week said, Brady, I've been chewing on the fact that Jesus is the divine designer. I just thought about that for a minute. Divine designer. I don't know if, if you think about design very often in products. Um, I, I purchased a tray for breakfast in bed a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Having breakfast in bed, that's an amazing thing. I don't know quite how that happens. You've decided I don't really want to get out of bed, but I want to eat a meal, and so I'll have breakfast in bed. This is a great moment, okay? And uh, I got this breakfast in bed tray, and it's got legs, but it's not designed very well. Because when you fold up the legs, they kind of like smash on each other, and then they're kind of sharp, and, and when you sit them down, it can scratch your leg, and it's not really good. And, and, and I went back to Amazon where I purchased it, and I found out too late that lots of other people had noticed this. And they put in the, the comments uh, that this was not very well designed. You've done that. You, you've looked at, at some kind of research to see the design of a product, and, and yet it dawned on me as my friend shared this this week, that Jesus is a divine designer. And he's a perfect designer. So Jesus didn't just speak and bloop, out came creation, just kind of there, but full of all these 
horrible design flaw. Jesus is a divine designer. We are created with complexity. The, the very understanding of the, the strands of DNA that come together. And, and, and I was talking with another brother who said, you know, Pastor, we're discovering that, that what we thought was junk DNA actually is not junk DNA. And, and the very intricacies of all life, he is a divine designer. This morning, I came in early, and I come in early most mornings, and, and I met one of my brothers here, and he says, Pastor Brady, you can see four planets this morning. Do you want to come out and see them with me? Friends, honestly, the first thing that crossed my mind was, I, I, don't, I don't know. I really wasn't planning on doing that. But sure, you ask and I'll go. So we went right out through these doors out here, and he had like an iPad thing, and he said, now look here, and you can see this planet, and you can see this planet. And sure enough, there were four planets, and we're standing on one planet. He said, he got all excited. He said, well, we can see five planets that God has created. And I didn't listen well enough in science class to get as excited as he was, but, but we could see the divine designer. The song came to my mind, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. He has created all things. And so this question about human life, we need to understand where it came from. This isn't just some kind of arbitrary decision that comes down from heaven about when life starts and, and all these things. This is the author of life. And it gives purpose and reason to why this question even has any merit for us to even entertain. It's tied to the designer himself. Second thing that we can see from God's word that it's important to answer this question is this, that human life begins at conception. Human life begins at conception. Anything short of this position creates a very slippery slope biblically in compromise. And by that I mean this. I think I need to explain a little bit. If we would sidestep the scriptures that would give us reason to see that there is, there is life at conception in the mother's womb, that there is life, significant life happening there, if we'd sidestep those scriptures, we are on a very slippery slope picking and choosing what in the scriptures we want to live by and which scriptures we don't want to live by. And then we begin to take you know, our agenda or our idea of life and try to force it on the text of God's Word instead of the other way around and let God's Word dictate how our life is to be lived. And so one of these passages of Scripture I want to share this morning is Psalm 139, verse 13 through 15. For you created my inmost being, the psalmist says. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. As this psalm is the inspired word of God given to us, as God speaking to us through this psalmist, there is a foundation for us to understand that human life starts at conception. Right from the beginning, God had a plan for your life. Whether you know it, whether you know what that plan is or not, He has a plan for you. Whether you like it or not, He has a plan for your life. Not like just someday when you get older or someday when you finish school. But right from the beginning, He has a plan for you. He has a heart for you. He, he knows you. He sees you in the womb. Right from the beginning, human life starts at conception. A third thing that is important for us to catch in answering this question today biblically is third, preborns are human beings. By that I mean that life in the womb, that preborn life 
is a human being. Now, I remember when our daughter Caden was in Carrie's stomach. She was not born yet. I did not refer to her as preborn. I didn't say, hey, preborn, I can't wait till you come. So I don't know what word you use, but, but that life in the womb, that preborn life is a human being. And there is purpose, and I would even argue scripturally we can see that there is, there is a calling of what God can do in life at all stages of life. Uh, turn with me or look on the screen to so Luke chapter 1, verse 41 and 44. Now to set the context of this verse, we find that, that Mary has been visited by an angel and told that she will be with child. And you remember this passage. She's like, what? I'm a virgin. This is, this is impossible. What are you talking about? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be with child, the Christ child. You will bear the Christ child, and you should call him Jesus. He will be the Messiah, the Savior of all. No doubt she's taken back by that. And in this similar timing, we begin to see Elizabeth is with child. And the Lord tells uh, Elizabeth that John, is, she's to name this child John that she carries, and he's going to prepare the way for Jesus. And that's what sets up this passage of Scripture here that we're going to look at. Luke 1, 41 and 44. When Elizabeth, remember she's carrying John the Baptist, in her stomach, in her womb, heard Mary's greeting... Mary shows up and says, hey, Liz. And, and then the baby, John, leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, saying, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Scripture tells us that John's very existence, the purpose was to celebrate and point the way of Christ. And here, when Mary came, John leapt in the womb. There is absolutely value in the life and the pre-born human being. God was using John the Baptist even in that moment. Now, I get excited about that. I don't know if you get excited. Some of you are like asleep, so I'll wake you up. That's big stuff. Now, whether you ask this question or not, we're going to land on how the answer to these questions are important to every one of us today. But hang with me a little bit. A couple of you not only asked uh, what does Scripture say about when human life begins? But a couple of you asked, I think if I'd read between the lines in your questions, you asked, what does the church, what does Grace Point, what does the Church of the Nazarene believe about the sanctity of human life? And, and I think I understood your question, so I want to speak to that a little bit. But first and foremost, God's Word is our authority, and it's already spoken very clear. And so I guess in short is we believe God's Word. But because this is such an important issue in our day, and I would argue in all space and time, it's an important issue. I want to share with you a statement from the manual of the Church of the Nazarene. Now, that's not the Bible, but that is our articulation of what God has called us to do scripturally and how we minister as a church. This is from paragraph 36, for those of you who care about that. But it's the, the statement on sanctity of human life. The Church of the Nazarene believes in the sanctity of human life and strives to protect against abortion embryotic stem cell research, euthanasia, and the withholding of reasonable medical care to handicapped or elderly. Induced abortion. The Church of the Nazarene affirms the sanctity of human life as established by God the Creator and believes that such sanctity extends to the child not yet born. Life is a gift from God. All human life, including life developing in the womb, is created by God in His image and therefore is to be nurtured, supported, and protected. 
From the moment of conception, a child is a human being with all the developing characteristics of human life. Therefore, we believe that human life must be respected and protected from the moment of conception. We oppose induced abortion by any means. When used for either personal convenience or population control, we oppose laws that allow abortion. Now, this next part is important to me that characterizes our heart and attitude in this arena. Responsible opposition to abortion requires us to have a commitment to the initiation and support of programs designed to provide care for mothers and for children. The crisis of unwanted pregnancy calls for the community of believers to provide a context of love, of prayer, of counsel, and of support. In such instances, support can take the form of counseling centers, homes for expectant mothers, and the creation or utilization of Christian adoption services. What's exciting to me is we don't just wave a banner here at Grace Point that that we believe in the sanctity of life, and then those who find themselves in a crisis where they have an unwanted pregnancy, we say, you're on your own. We want to be involved in helping in those crisis moments. And there's a number of you that I could call out by name, but I didn't get your permission, who are actively involved in such ministries. And we believe that is biblically important for us to care for the families in that crisis situation. Another piece that I think is helpful in this, we believe that life is important because it's important to God. This is a very serious situation because it's serious to God. The Church of the Nazarene also recognizes that many have been afflicted and affected by the tragedy of abortion, by their own choice or by the choice of someone close to them. We believe in the message of forgiveness of sins from Jesus Christ, opening a way to relationship with God the Father. Abortion is not God's plan. But like any willful disobedience, there is forgiveness granted for all who will confess to say the same thing about that action or that deed or that thought that God says about it, that it's unacceptable, that it's not right, to repent, to turn from it, and to welcome Jesus to be Lord in their life. And there is forgiveness to be offered to all those who've been impacted by abortion. Our local congregation is to be and will continue to be a community of redemption and hope for all who suffer physically, emotionally, and spiritually pain as a result of the termination of a pregnancy. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is there is forgiveness offered to you. If you're here today, we don't want to go soft on what God's Word says about the sanctity of human life. It is precious to Him. It is holy to Him because He has created it and He's created each person in His own image. But if you have found yourself impacted by abortion in one way or another, know that there is forgiveness, that God says, come close to me, child. I want to bring healing to your heart. Jesus, I thank you right now that there is hope for those who have been impacted by either their choice or the choice of someone close to them by abortion. Lord, your word says in Ephesians 1, 7, in you we have redemption through your blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of your grace. Jesus, I think of the words of Isaiah 43, 25, Even I, I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins, you said to us, Father. Lord, I pray that we will not only see the great value of life, but the forgiveness you offer when we find ourselves 
engaged in activities around abortion that is not pleasing to you. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. As we see, there is very clear answers in God's word to when human life begins. I want us to look at a second question dealing with life and death. And the question that you ask is this. What happens when we die? Where do we go? In fact, one of you, that was your exact question in big, bold letters. What happens to me when I die? Where do I go? Question mark. That's it. You wrote. I thought you phrased it so well. We'll let all the others come underneath your phrasing of that question. The latest statistics on death are rather impressive that I pulled. It's this. One out of one people will die at some point in their life. Unless you live to the rapture, every single person will die at some point. And because all of us will be affected possibly by death if we live long enough, we then need to understand what happens. So this question by very nature is important to us because we all will be affected by this question. What happens when I die? Where do I go? Everyone seems to have an opinion on this. Countless individuals have testified to near-death experiences as insight into what's on the other side. Opinions range from the atheistic secular humanists who believe that there is no life after death to the polytheistic eastern religions that believe we are reincarnated after death and this life cycle continues of being born again and again and again and again and again to try to get it right over and over and over and over again or monotheists people who believe in one god believing in the eternal existence of life forever either in heaven or in hell everyone has an opinion but we need something more substantial than just people's opinion and god's word is that anchor for us god's word is far from silent on this question as well It clearly affirms that humans are not only physical, but we are spiritual beings as well. Genesis 2-7 says this, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. This phrase, breath of life, refers to the eternal spiritual dimension where God miraculously infused eternal breath with the physical body of the created man. This makes us unique from all other creations. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, He, meaning God, has also set eternity in the hearts of all men. He has created us as eternal beings. Friend, what will happen to you when you die? You will live in eternity somewhere. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, every person you lock eyes with, they are an eternal being. They will live in eternity somewhere. Jesus taught the immortality of humanity plainly and frequently. In fact, he talked more about this than many other subjects, and he continually reminds us that after death, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid at all costs. A sampling of his teachings can be found in these verses that I've listed on the screen. I won't read through all of them, but I put them there in your outline and on the screen for you. You may want to do some further study on Jesus' teachings about this. Like in Matthew 25, and in Mark 8, and Luke 13, and John 6, or just a few. See, Jesus continually was at odds with some of the religious leaders of his day over this very same issue. It's not just something that people argue about today. They argued about it then. For example, the Sadducees did not believe in life after death. And that was why they were sad, you see. (laughs) Oh, 
bless you who laughed. That was a horrible joke. It wasn't even funny. It was a wonderful courtesy laugh from my left. I, I share that because Jesus was, was dealing with the same fallen culture that we're in now. People questioning, is, is there life? Even the religious people began to doubt if there was life after death, and it skewed everything. And so these questions about life and death are very important, not just because they're on your mind, but they have great implications on how we live and the reality of what is going on around us. Jesus not only taught that there is life after death, he taught that he is the way, the truth, and the life to life in heaven with him. That there's no other way to the Father except through Him. Through His life, through His death, through His resurrection, He made it possible for you and for me to attain eternal life with Him in heaven forever. Now, I want to make this as simple as I can. No matter what you do, you will live forever somewhere. But Jesus says, if you receive me, you will have eternal life with me in heaven forever. What does He mean? If we confess... With our mouth, we confess our sin, the things that we've said and done wrong. Confessing literally means to say the same thing about it that God says about it. So uh, I say what I've said, what I have done is wrong. It's unacceptable. And when I repent, I turn from it. I'm not just sorry that I got caught. I'm not just sorry that I'm in a jam. But I repent. And Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. I want to live for you. Jesus says he will save us. Romans 10, 9. We, we can find some help there if you want to take notes. Uh, where, where Jesus gives us a, a confirmation in our heart that we can be saved if we are believing on him. This is that eternal life in heaven that he talks about. As I've already mentioned, the Bible tells us that you will spend eternity in one of two places. Either in heaven with Christ or in hell in separation from him. There is no third option. There is no door number three to go into. The Bible tells us that there will be a judgment one day when all human beings who have ever lived will stand before a holy God in judgment. He will determine whether you will spend eternity with him in heaven or in hell in separation from him for all of eternity. But one of you asked a question pretty specifically, specifically, what, what happens in the meantime? Where does your spirit go between the time that you die and that, that judgment that we read about in Scripture? Well, friend, the Bible doesn't speak a lot about this, but there are some verses that I think can be helpful to us, some principles that can be helpful to us. For those who have placed their trust in hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord, or to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord. We also have heard great teaching about Jesus being on the cross, and he's reaching out to the thief there next to him, the one who accepts him. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And so this idea of, of some kind of a holding tank of where we are until then is, is not found in Scripture. Now there's some, like the Catholic Church, for example, that have created this kind of a holding tank thought they call purgatory, trying to resolve this apparent time dilemma in their minds. But I have found no biblical evidence to support this position. In fact, I think there's biblical evidence in the opposite direction. In fact, I think the whole question zeroing in on time can lead us off track. Because when we, we die, time as we know it here on this earth ceases to exist. God and eternity operate beyond this three-dimensional time and space continuum here on earth. We find in God's Word, it says, 
to God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. It's impossible for us to get our mind fully around that, but I don't believe there'll be any lag time of, well, I'm just kind of hanging out and waiting. There'll be in a moment we can see to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord or to be at home with the Lord. Today you will be with me. Interesting question. I'm glad you asked it. But if I could redirect the question to the first part of the question that I think is, is more helpful, where will I go? You can have some impact on that, depending on what you do with Jesus. Where will you spend eternity? That's the million-dollar question. Where are you prepared to go? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you living for Him? Jesus says, you love me if you obey my commands. Well, those are two answers to two questions that you asked with hopefully what you can see as biblical responses. But I want to land on this piece today because some of you didn't ask those questions. You asked other questions. And you say, well, when are we going to get to my question? In time, in time. But what is the application for us today? I'm confident that Jesus is wanting to speak to every person here. He wants to remind you that the reason that this whole thing about when life begins is important is this. You were known by the Lord from the moment of conception in your mother's womb. He has been head over heels in love with you from the moment that you were born and he has a plan for you jesus not only has knit you together in your mother's womb not only has great love for you and a plan for you but he died and gave of himself to conquer sin death in the grave so you can have eternal life with him forever so these questions of life and death have great implications in your life and my life every single day but here's the reality in john 10 10 Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan, the enemy, is so at work in our culture to erode what it is that the Bible says about the sanctity of life because it's what God has created. And if Satan can get us confused on what is good that God has created, in fact, all sin is a perversion of something good that God has created. Have you thought about that? Every sinful act is something that God has made good and Satan perverts it. But that's a whole other sermon. We'll get back there later. But, but when we can see that, that Satan wants to get us thinking so wrong about our life, how we started. Well, that was a mistake. You weren't a mistake to God. I'm adopted. My wife is adopted. My birth mother at 16 years of age did not plan for that to happen. God said, oh, oh I've got a plan for him. And my heart is so eternally grateful to my birth mother who said in a culture of abortion, I, I, I want to choose life for him. I don't feel like I can care for him. And God didn't skip a beat. He had a plan there. But Satan wants people to think, it's no big deal. It's a big deal to me. The breath of my lungs. It's a big deal to you that God has a plan for your life. But, but, but get this. Questions about eternity, about where we'll live forever. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy that. He'll get you to think, oh, that's so far away. I'm going to live forever. No, you won't. Eternity isn't that big of a deal. It's, it's a huge deal. My philosophy of life, I can share with you in 25 seconds. This life is really short. The next life is really long. I'm going to do things in this life that's short that matter in the next life that's really, really long. Things in this life that's really short that don't matter to that life, who cares? And so Jesus wants to take this understanding of life 
and bring purpose to how you live. Second, not only does Jesus have a plan for you from when you were born and an eternal life for you, John 10.10, 10, let's finish the verse. A thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have life, and I want to give you life to the full. Right here, now, today, on this very hot day in October in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Jesus says, I have the best life available to you this day. Satan will take this and say, he wants to steal your joy. He wants to make your life miserable. It's a bunch of red tape. It's a bunch of all these things. Jesus says, oh, I have been so involved in your design from the very beginning. I know every ounce of DNA in your body. I know what you like. I know what will bring fulfillment to your heart. If you would join me on this, I have the best life possible. And Jesus wants to speak to us today in matters of life and death. He is the author of life. He is the hope for eternity. And he is the best life possible today. Oh, that's good. We're done right there. Jesus, thank you that through our own honest, heartfelt questions, that you care enough to speak to us in your word, in a still small voice, through other brothers and sisters. And Jesus, I just sense today you want to reach out and you want to wrap your arms around each man and woman, every boy and girl in this room today. And you want to say, I have created you, my son, my daughter. You are valuable to me. I not only want you to spend eternity with me in heaven forever, but let's do life together right now. Jesus, I ask that you will spray paint the traps, the snares of the enemy that lie, that steal, that, that, that try to destroy what it is that you're doing in their life, that they can call it out. That's a lie. I am worth something. That's a lie. I do have a purpose. That's a lie. It does matter what happens in my everyday life. That's a lie. It does matter what I do with who Jesus is. And Lord, may they sense that as they abide in you, you will abide in them. As they remain in you, you will remain in them. You said... If you draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. So thank you, Jesus, that we have hope in life and in death when you are there with us. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Church, would you stand with me? As you take off today, I want to give you an assignment. You will see somebody as soon as you leave this auditorium who has breath in their lungs. If you don't call for help, they need help, okay? But every person you lock eyes with that have breath in their lungs, I want you to allow it to go through your mind, they are God's masterpiece. Now that may need to be some encouragement for some of you. You're going to work with somebody and have to be reminded, oh, oh, I guess they're God's masterpiece. Even if you can't see it, Jesus sees it in them. And would you find ways to call what Jesus has created good by loving on that person? And as you look in the mirror, remember, you are one of those creations as well.